Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Fearscape Media Network. Exploring the unknown. One podcast at a time. Hello, dear friends. I'm your head mister, Lord Stephen Gearhart. And I am your co-mister, the man with no name, Lance Wayne. And together we are the misters of the... the, the, uh, Let's try it again. The misters of the... the, 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 Lance! The misters of the dark! Don't shut up! Whatever, join us wherever you stream your favorite podcasts. Or go to mistersofthedark.com, where we'll be discussing all things horror, from films and books to everything in betweensies. We also have the occasional victim. <laughs> I mean, guest. <laughs> Only on the Fearscape Mania Network. <laughs> Shut up, Lance. I always get the last laugh. <laughs> Kids playing playing above something and above something unknown flies over and disappears. People driving at night, seeing huge creatures cross the road. People waking up to find their cabinet door ripped open in their kitchen. Strange things happen every day around the world and seemingly at the same time and area. But are these occurrences connected? This, this is, is what we are here, here to explore, explore and are trying to understand. Join us on our journey, Join to, us uncover on our journey to uncover what we call the, the Convergence Enigma. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to another fantastic episode of the Convergence Enigma with Josh and Stefan. I am your host, Stefan Gerhart, and I am joined, as always, by the plushy, furry man of existence himself, Mr. Josh furry bones rutledge how are you sir i am doing fantastic and, and you know i recently found out that uh the tanuki you know from like the the tanuki tanu- suit yeah the tanuki suit that's a cryptid yeah oh yeah it's a japanese cryptid yeah, yeah. it's I didn't, a, I didn't from japanese that lore. Was like i thought it was just created for mario brothers you sir are not a true mario fan then and <laughs> you are not allowed to play super mario brothers 3 <laughs> ever again you can't pick tanuki mario and mario yeah. kart like no. it's you're just not allowed. You can use the cape. Well, I think I mean I think now that I know, I can pick it. And knowing but is half the battle. Before it was sacrilege. Now yeah. it's okay. Yeah, knowing is half the battle, but the other half, well, that's lasers. Although in today's market, I think probably knowing is like maybe a quarter of the market. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, shut anyway, up. God, you're such geez. a talker. Um, no, we Talk have a show. super fun episode tonight. We are talking about one of my favorite topics. One of the cases that got me into ufology uh, and got me questioning life itself, which is the Travis Walton experience, which uh, most people know as Fire in the Sky the movie from the 1990s that scared Which, the yeah, diddly diddly out of me. Yeah, the, um, the fucking watch your mouth there, buddy. Yep. The uh, the stuff where they put like the the rubber over his face and it's like, <laughs> it's like ah. dude, it scared me so bad. And it's still I I watch it about once a year because I love it and it's still frightening. <laughs> it's still frightening, man. Um, I've had an opportunity to email back and forth with Travis Walton um, and. I, all I want to do is be like, how are you not scared every day? How are you well, yeah, I mean, that's that's the thing now, right? Is that he's he doesn't look back on it. 
Yeah, he's kind badly. of changed his view. Yeah. Well, I don't know if he's changed his view as much as that's kind of what the view kind of has been for yeah, a while. Always been along. Yeah. It's but and as and as we'll get into tonight. Yeah. That there's been a lot of misconstrued information provided from the get go, and so tonight is, I think, a better telling of the events that occurred that's the intention of tonight um so that you all can have a better understanding of how much of it was just wrong yeah and i love that it takes place in arizona um but let's move on let's get to our first segment as usual which is the psychic word of the week and now the psychic word of the week Psychic word of the week comes from the Encyclopedic Psychic Dictionary from June G. Bletzer, PhD. Rest in peace, honey bear. Uh, we love you. We miss you. And we never knew you. Um, but we are excited about your book. So, Josh, you gave me a three-digit number, um, 161. I flipped to that page, and I looked down, and I saw the most amazing set of words I've ever seen in my entire life, and I was <laughs> glad for that. Uh, demonical somnambulism. That's when the that's when the peanut loses loses his monocle. <laughs> loses, yeah. Uh, it also sounds like a uh, punk band. Uh, but anyways, here's what demonical somnambulism stands for. Uh, in parentheses here, it says possession. It says the seizure of a physical body by an inferior etheric world entity with evil intent occurs when such rapidity and force. Oh, excuse me, occurs with such rapidity and force that the victim loses consciousness and the body takes on the personality of the entity. Facial features become twisted. Language is obscene and vulgar, even though the person is well-bred. Body performs physical contortions, normally impossible to human beings, sometimes behaves like an animal. Body becomes so strong that it takes many to subdue it. Not willed consciously. Um, so a synonym for that is uh, diabolic possession. To me, that's just demon possession. But uh, it's Linda know. Blair, right? That's yeah. I mean, that's talking. possession. I mean, uh, yeah. So basically, you know, but we use demon, but she's saying it could be any etheric mm. entity. It could be a djinn. It could be a ghost. It could be a gnome. It could be a fairy. Um, I, I don't know. Hmm. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't know. I mean, up until uh, uh, 13 seconds ago, I never thought about the possibility of something other than a demon possessing someone. Um, But I mean, yeah, uh, maybe. I mean, oh man, you're really making me think. You're going to make me use my brain. Well, you know, and so I quickly looked up some um, somnambulism. Um, and I knew I had heard it before. It means to perform physical activity while in a deep trance or a deep state of hypnosis. So um, a somnambulist is basically a hypnosis uh, or a hypnotist, you know, and they can do that. Um, but this is you um, being essentially possessed by something evil, whereas a, somn- a somnambulism yep. could be it's- grandma. Yeah. Well, it also could be, um, so if you talk about it, the hypnotist, the hypnotist could put you under, mm-hmm. and then while you're under, uh, you could do 20 jumping jacks. Would that be a somnambulism? Yes. Because it's, it, it's activity while you're under, right? Correct. So, yeah. It's, it's, it's a, uh, you know, someone who's doing physical activity whilst, right. whilst in so a it, deep trance. So a, a demonical uh, one is just, you're doing things that are, more demonic in nature you're and uh, it's implied that it's not you whereas somnambulism uh, uh at, at its core is you is it's you. your subconscious but this is implied via her definition that it is some sort of entity that is doing things and using your body because you could be knocked completely unconscious it said and it could take your body over completely so what it, what, it, what is this involuntary then is this it's like if you're a, a yes. trans medium Right, and you invite this thing to come into you, and it stands up and does twenty jumping jacks. That's not the same. Not necessarily. I think that you're looking at a gray line there, but I mean, her definition did say not invited. Okay. So, um, again, I, I feel like it's a gray line. I feel like once it's there, it's a whole different thing. If it takes over, I, don't know, I mean, do, I, I, doesn't do what you asked it to do. You're yeah. like, you know, I feel like Crowley would be like, hey. 
demon as Gaboozgoogoos. Take over my body and let's make tacos, man. And then it gets in there, takes over his body, and then like burns a house down. I feel like then it becomes demonical <laughs> somnambulism. <laughs> well, okay. Yeah. Well, then, I mean, by that means, then, you know, what a lot of people talk about is a lot of demonic possessions is that the person who was being possessed was doing something, uh, some rituals, whatever the case may be, that led to them opening the door for possession. So, in a way, they invited. Sure, sure. And that is old school version of Ouija boards and things like that. I'm not even talking about that, but I'm just saying. I know, but that that's what people yeah. believe. Anyways, let's speaking of demons, Josh. Yeah. <laughs> let's go ahead and move into our next segment, uh, which we haven't done in a minute, which is encounters from the fearscape. So as you guys know, uh, the Fearscape is the uh, Fearscape obviously is what our old show used to be called, but it is also the place where we feel like when the paranormal has a darker edge to it, mm-hmm. things are frightening and scary that maybe they all exist in this Fearscape, this area or whatnot. And so we invite listeners and things like that to send us your true encounters, your true stories of your encounters uh, with the Fearscape, these frightening events. Uh, and this one, Josh, comes actually from your brother, Stuart brother yeah this um, is brother no, i'm just like no Stuart relic man <laughs> this is one of the most frightening stories that i've ever heard um it's absolutely phenomenal and it happens to happen inside of a church and a demon so let's go ahead and just take a listen here real quick so i was in church with a friend and to my knowledge it was just him and i and a couple of adults in a meeting with my mother The meeting took place behind closed doors, the floor up above us. We were chatting in the fellowship hall when we heard a loud grating sound. It spooked us, so we attempted to investigate by checking the kitchen. Nothing. We started hearing footsteps at the same time as the grating in one of the hallways which ran parallel to each other and met in the choir room. After looking down said hallway, we yelled, Hello? The footsteps stopped and then started in the opposite hall. So we did the same thing there. Hello? Seriously, hello? And the footsteps continued toward us this time quickly, but nothing was there. Then they stopped abruptly. We decided each one of us should stand in the doorway of respective hall so that we could watch both at the exact same time. And at first, we saw nothing, we heard nothing. And then we heard the grating sound, which sounded like it was behind the choir room walls. And so I said, Dude, it's, it's just pipes. And then a breathing sound started. And then I yelled out, Don't move. The footsteps began coming towards us in both halls, neither of which seemed to have anyone there. We backed up in fear, and when we decided we couldn't take it anymore, I kid you not, there was this large, dark figure blocking one of the doorways. And it looked as if it was kneeling. And then, as it stood to full height, I swear the room began growing much darker, and we just took off after that. And looking back into the building, the adults were just leaving the locked office, and the glass on the downstairs door had a ghostly face smeared down one side with a gaping mouth that faded as they approached it. I told my buddy about mass hysteria and that we shouldn't tell anyone about it until we wrote the details down and attempted to draw. We both loved drawing. When we got home, we called each other and described practically the exact same thing to each other. He was no artist, but when I saw his drawing, he drew roughly the exact same figure that I had drawn. I have no idea what it was, but I'm honestly still so unsettled by the memory. It's part of why I believe in anything at all spiritually. I really hope some kind of opposite for that thing exists. To this day, yeah. 
I don't know how your brother hasn't lost his mind and isn't living in a home. <laughs> like, because that I, right there, yeah. seeing that sucker kneel, I, I would have lost. I would have lost all my Well, sense. he's, I mean, he's been, um, he's, he's very cautious now. Mm-hmm. When he gets involved with things, he's just very cautious. You know, we, we've gone out and done some spooky stuff together, looking at UFOs and right. We all went Estes to the witch's castle, like that. And- right? You know, but he's he's just very cautious when he gets right. involved with things now. So, um, as, as which you, you know, as, as expected <laughs> after having an experience like that, right? So, yeah. So, very very interesting. Thank you, Stuart, um, for allowing us to use that because <laughs> it's it's spooky ooky. Um, and it just continues to freak me out. Uh, but Josh, if you're ready, man, I'm ready to get into the Travis Walton experience um, and and go into uh, just the history there and everything that took place. So let's go ahead and move right into our topic this week, seeking answers into the Travis Walton experience. Yeah. Boom. Boom. Let's do this. Snowflake, do Arizona. It. We've driven pretty close to it. We've driven through the woods where this happened. Just wanted to say, and I can see, because you think Arizona and immediately you think desert. So how did people not see this? But no, where this happened is northeastern Arizona, and it is highly wooded. Uh, It's a completely different topography. (laughs) Oh, yeah. it's Well, and it's you're you're really coming out of New Mexico closer to that side of things, right? In that kind of work. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it's uh, closer to Flagstaff and stuff. Yeah, what well, you know, like you said, it's well when we when we drove out uh, a couple of weeks ago to take half my stuff right to the house in Arizona, we actually drove through the forest where where this happened, and uh, had we not been on a tight timeline, I totally would have pulled over and got stuck again. But uh, you know, <laughs> over no rivers and through the sand, yeah. we got stuck in the road. <laughs> so, anyways. Um, yeah, so uh, Travis Walton case is really, uh, like you said, uh, Fire in the Sky was probably my first introduction uh, to the case. Yep. Um, and a lot like uh, the Mothman Prophecies movie, having now gone back and, and better understood and understand the case itself and the, and the circumstances around it, the movie doesn't really do it justice. No, and and again, uh, you know, you know, I host another show, Mistress of the Dark, and so I love horror, especially sci-fi horror. Um, don't get me wrong, this movie scared me, but yeah, it doesn't do it justice. And and I gotta say, you know, Betty and Barney Hill case, which we're gonna discuss uh, in April, um, is definitely the most famous case because it was one of the first. But I would say that Travis has kind of become the most well-known because of fire in the sky and yeah. and i think there's a lot of folks that would say that travis walton's case might be more famous i mean it, it definitely had uh a lot more sensationalism attracted to it uh i think than the betty and barney hill case oh for so. sure and i mean generational too i mean this yeah. was my dad's generation i was not even born yet but not far from being born so i heard about this growing up yeah and so, you know, those guys were still being interviewed and, and and things like that, where at this point, you know, Barney had passed away already. It was just Betty um, and it wasn't as sensational as Travis's scary story. Yeah, that's, that's you know, and yes. So bottom line, <laughs> thank you for agreeing with me. Josh. I appreciate <laughs> so, it. Good night. So, folks. Good night. <laughs> so no bottom, bottom line, uh, this all really happened in November of 1975 is when the events actually took place well i spread over a couple of days actually um and so the morning of the 6th of november remember remember the <laughs> the now 6th of november, november. <laughs> um but uh, a seven-man crew uh was out uh, in the woods uh, just outside of uh, snowflake arizona um doing some clearing of uh what they call slash that would later be burned for the uh, U.S. Forest Service. And so the seven-man crew consisted of um, Rogers at the age of 28, Travis Walton, 22, uh, Ken Peterson, 25, Dwayne Smith, 19, Alan Dallas, 21, John Goulet, 21, and Steve Pierce, 17. So other than Rogers and, let's say, Peterson, most of them were in their early you know, early twenties to late teens. How how old was Mike Rogers again? 
28 is what 28. it says. Oh, God. Still not even that old, really. Now no. that we're older, we're like, ah, oh, 28, 28. You're a kid. Yeah. Whipper snapper. So, um, <laughs> uh, they had, uh, like I said, been out, been out working with chainsaws and, uh, decided to pack up for the day. And so they had traveled only maybe a couple of hundred yards when Alan Dallas uh, spotted a yellowish glow ahead of them uh, and to the right through a heavy growth of pine trees. Uh, Travis, who was sitting on the right in the front seat with Peterson between him and Rogers, who was driving, mm-hmm. later said he at first thought it was the sunset until he realized it was in the northwest. The truck continued to bump along um, kind of on this little curvy road about five miles per hour until they came to a clearing where they had a very close, very clear view of the site. Yeah. So to be to be clear again, like this road is not a normally traversed road. It's a dirt road. Right. And if there's ever any rain, it causes massive like bumps. And, And so, yeah, they were talking about in his book he was talking about how they had to go five miles an hour or they would be shook out of the car like it's often these types of roads are often uh labeled or described as a fire road yes because they're really meant for just emergency situations so um but approximately 75 to 90 feet to their right was a glowing object hovering silently about 15 to 20 feet above a pile of slash again the slash is the stuff that's been trimmed down ready for burning the object appeared about the same size as the pile so about 15 feet in diameter and approximately eight feet high it glowed with a color and this is a, a quoted here like that of a coleman lantern just being lit the old school old school yep uh, that's the ones that had the little uh, what I always called mothballs, but that's not what they were. But that's what they <laughs> yeah. kind of look, look like. But you know the cloth that would burn. So yeah, um, this glow though was broken by dark opaque dividers or framework um, on the craft. So would you say that's kind of like a dark orange? Yeah, or because like, um, if it's just being lit, I, I would say it's like a dark orange, dark or, orange, or or a, or a lighter orange, one or the almost other. like almost like a candlelight. I think yeah. is what I'm thinking here. So yeah, yeah. Um, so they when they spotted the object, Travis yelled to Rogers to stop, but he didn't wait for the truck to stop. He just opened the door and jumped out and proceeded in a. Uh, fast walk toward the object. Boy, do we know people like this, dude. We had a friend in high school that would have absolutely been Travis Walton in this case. Would have been like, <laughs> what you doing, UFO? You want to yeah. fight me? <laughs> you want to fight me? So, yeah. Um, Rogers, uh, driving and not being able to really see what the others were seeing, turned off the truck engine um, while Walton went toward the object others in the truck heard a beeping noise which they described as sounding like the warning buzzer in the passenger compartment of a commercial airliner so there's that buzz again that we will hear every time we talk about a ufo story right and you know it's Um, interesting um with travis walton because every interview i've ever seen today or yesteryear he is so soft-spoken and chillax yeah like i can't imagine him being this and i wonder i wish i i wish there was footage of him before you know all this to mm. see if his personality changed because of the events i mean i think or everybody's if he's just one of those secret crazy dudes you know <laughs> well but i mean i think i think everybody whether you have this experience or not everybody's personality changes i mean right you knew me in high school i was not the you know sexy god you are now sexy guy that i am now right you know um, i mean but i mean i was quiet i was reserved i i was loud within our group but i wasn't outside of the group and so that's it's you know uh going to college really changed a lot of my personality for me so i mean i think that anybody you know travis may have had um a more active youth in 
even without this experience, he may have still resulted in being the soft-spoken person that he is yeah, today. He does in his book, he talks about what a wild man he was. He, he's yeah. got some crazy stories that he talks about, about just being a crazy young, wanting to fight all the time and just nuts. Yeah. And it's like, man, it's so polar opposite to everything I've ever seen. It's crazy. But I mean, there comes a time when everybody says, you know, hey, you know, I probably need to calm down a little bit, stop sure. all that foolishness and so on and so forth. So, I mean, I, my point is aliens will I, do that. Aliens, aliens will do it, but so will just life, right? Yeah. Life just in general. So. Um, as Walton stood uh, again, looking up at the object, the men heard a noise, which one described as sounding like a generator starting. Uh, Rogers also described additional rumbling noises. Um, meanwhile, the object started oscillating or wobbling about its vertical axis. Interesting. You don't normally hear the the engine of a generator. That to me <clears throat> sounds like a chainsaw or sounds like a car starting almost. Mm. And that's usually it's quiet or it's buzzing. But the, well, the buzzing or, you know, we've heard uh, in tales in the, uh, uh, We've heard accounts that talk about like a whooshing noise. Mm -hmm. uh, we've also heard it um, talking about like a slow whine or something. Right. So maybe that's, you know, I don't know. Yeah, um, I don't know either. It, it, it's obviously, you know, what what they thought a generator started sounding like, sure. or what Roger started sounding like might have been something else. So right. um, we might have described it differently. Sure. But So uh, Walton uh, stood under uh, just forward of the object for several seconds just as he took a step to walk around to the right of the pile a bright narrow ray of greenish blue light struck walton in either the head or the chest a bright flash surrounded his body no sound was heard this jolted walton about a foot into the air and backwards with his arms flung out and his head knocked back which is that famous painting the poster yeah yeah the poster i think uh, was it mike rogers that painted that i think one of the guys painted that possibly um, mike because i know mike does a lot of art, art so the, stuff the poster so. itself comes from is a picture but like the poster is based off of a painting right and um i believe that painting it was done by mike rogers originally but I'm not, I'm not a hundred percent. It says here that uh, Rogers, who was actually looking the other way at the time that the, the flash happened, actually saw the flash reflected on the trees on the other side of the road and looked around just in time to see Walton in the air. Hmm. Rogers and the other men terrified took off. Which I, 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 I don't blame them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, we we've 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 kind of jokingly talked about it, but you know the the idea that if we're if you and I are ever out in the doing investigation or whatever, and a craft lands in front of us, that you're going to push me ahead of ahead of you, <laughs> it's you know. But I mean, who knows what you're really going to do in a situation like that? I mean, you know, in all actuality, you know, we might try to run. Who knows? So, um, right. Uh, and I was wrong. The art that I'm thinking of, the famous picture, was done by Claudio Ber Bergamon. Uh, not not one of the seven men in the, in the woods, then. Not that I've discovered yet. <laughs> <laughs> I, I still um, feel like I heard that somewhere. <laughs> so only one man actually saw Walton hit the ground. And it says here that the whole incident took less than one minute. Boy, I bet you it felt like a lifetime, though. Oh, I bet you it did, yeah. Uh, so, like I said, they sped off uh, about a quarter mile away, which is interesting that they sped off on a road that has all kinds of bumps, and they were only going five miles an hour. So imagine what that must have really been like to be in the cab mm -hmm. of this truck that's speeding down this little road. So after about a quarter mile, they stopped to kind of reconsider what they had just experienced uh, Rogers then saw through the trees in the direction from which they had come a light lift up and streak to the northeast 
the men then decided that they should go back and look for Walton. I mean, at least they went back. So Yeah, uh, I mean, they realized, <laughs> oh, crap, we got to go back. And I, and I feel like we would have done that. Yeah, eventually. Well. Yeah, we would have gotten some pitchforks and some torches. I guess it all just depends on who it is. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> just kind of joking. Some people, maybe, you know, but um, so arriving back on the scene within about 15 minutes, they found no sign of either the object or of Walton. The men then left the site and headed for Heber or Heber, Heber, Heber. Okay. Uh, and notified Navajo County Deputy Sheriff Chuck Allison at 735 p.m. Now, Allison described the men as being extremely upset, one even weeping. He said if they were lying, they were damn good actors. Yeah. It was about 9.30 p.m. by the time the sheriff's personnel arrived on the scene, so two out, about two hours later. Three of the witnesses refused to return with them, which I don't know that I blame them, so... Yep. Um, they found no trace of either Walton or the UFO that night. A search was conducted Thursday, November 6th. About 40 to 50 men searched a two and a half mile radius. Still no sign was found of Travis Walton. The search was called off Thursday afternoon and a missing persons bulletin was filed Friday. An additional search was conducted Saturday and Sunday using a helicopter and concentrating on the rim area about a quarter to one mile south of the site. But there was still no trace of Walton. I mean, even, you know, there are so many people that think this is a hoax. So many people think it's a hoax. Yep. But it's like, I mean, dude's gone for days in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> right. There's, there's people don't understand Arizona forests are deadly. There are bears and scorpions and snakes and all kinds oh of craziness out there that'll get you. Yeah. Chupacabras out Chupacabra, there. Chupacabra, <laughs> Sasquatch, you know. What what was that thing that you were talking about that was up in the mountains in Arizona that y'all were gonna look for when you were Oh, camping? the uh Mogolan monster, yeah. which is yeah. a Sasquatch. But this is also this is in northeastern. This is November. It's cold. They, it's I cold, mean, yeah. it, it snows right. quite frequently in Arizona, quite frequently because of the high elevation in this area, which we've been, is high elevation. Yeah. And it snows. It was cold as all get out. That's why it's called Snowflake, Arizona, the city they're from. Right. So it is It is indeed a cold area. Um, so there was actually talk on Thursday of foul play and it potentially being a hoax. Right, of course. So Rogers requested a polygraph test be given to the six witnesses. The tests were administered on Monday, November 10th in Holbrook by the Arizona Department of Public Safety, polygraph expert Cy Gilson. Five of the men passed the test. The other test was reported inconclusive. But Gilson thought that perhaps Dalis did not watch the entire incident. There can be no doubt that the men at least think they saw what they said they saw. Gilson considers it impossible for this many subjects to slip through the test while lying. Exactly. Especially young cats. Oh, yeah. Like, you ain't even had enough life experience to get out of stuff. <laughs> you know, one you know, kid you know, was 17, man. Right. I mean... What's the likelihood that they had read about how to fake a, you know, lie detector test or, you know, just, yeah. yeah. Now, I know you boys don't want to be cutting wood your whole life, so we're going to make up an alien story. And we're going to need you to lie <laughs> on a lie detector test. I know you're yeah. 17 there, boy, but you better do this or I'm going to kill you. Get out of here. Uh, Mr. Jordan uh, interviewed each of the men and Rogers at the scene of the sighting. All agreed on the basic details. However, Rogers, whom he interviewed on Saturday, November 8th, was visibly shaken, especially when describing the flash hitting Walton 
who had been a friend for about 12 years. Yes, that's better than the Batman hitting him. Yeah. Or Man Bat, whichever. Or Man Bat. The Flash is fine. He's a nice guy. He's a nice guy. Well, he hit him with the Speed Force. It's okay. Mm-hmm. Um, so the uh, sighting conditions and the weather, um, the sky was clear and dark with a glow in the west from the sun, which had already set. Mm-hmm. The object was seen to the northwest of the observers. The moon was a thin sliver high in the sky. As Tennessee Williams once wrote in The Glass Menagerie, just a silver slipper of a moon. <laughs> um, they did uh, investigate for physical evidence and electromagnetic phenomena. Uh, no physical evidence, landing pad imprints, broken branches, unusual footprints, etc., was found at the scene. Um, and the, the investigator did arrive on the scene early Saturday afternoon. Well, it wasn't shown to land, and it was in, an, in a clear. Yeah, so. right. Uh, many searchers and others had already tramped all around the area. Mm-hmm. Uh, no electromagnetic interference was noticed uh, with the truck during the sighting. Uh, and Deputy Allison said that the sheriff's department tested for radiation on Thursday, November 6th, and found no significant readings above the background level. So also on the scene on Saturday was Bill Spaulding, an investigator for Ground Saucer Watch. Oh, yeah. GSW, man. <laughs> I've been trying to dig into their archives for quite some time. Like, And <sighs> this is actually was located in Phoenix. Yeah, I know. <laughs> okay. That's why I'm like, I've been, I want to try to find the archives and stuff because... They had some pretty amazing stuff um, out there. So it says here that uh, from the outset, Spalding was in touch with the media, feeding information to radio, television, and newspaper offices. So, yeah, I'm um, pretty sure GSW was down in Tucson, if I can remember, or the boys went down to Tucson, one or the other. Can't remember. It's all in the book. Yeah, I mean this this says it's from Phoenix, but. Uh, oh, you know. that's right. Yeah, yeah. So then they went down to Tucson. That's where. Um, yeah, yeah. Go ahead. Okay. Do your thing, Josh. <laughs> Do your thing. I'm just quit interrupting you. me. Okay. No. Um, on the morning of the 11th of November, at a few minutes after midnight, a telephone call was received at the home of Grant Neffs. Uh, Mrs. Neff is Travis Walton's sister. The recipients didn't know who it was at first, as the caller kind of sounded weak and vague and confused. But after a few moments, the voice was identified as that of Travis. He said he was in a telephone booth at a service station in Heber. What's a telephone booth? (laughs) Um, But yeah, dude, if that happened today, he'd have been SOL, man, because he wouldn't have had a cell phone. He wouldn't have remembered anybody's phone number. Uh, there would have been no telephone booth uh, if it was late at night, you know, like he wouldn't have had just, hey, can I borrow your cell phone? Yeah. So. Um, well, and, and also just so we're on the same page, the telephone booth is for you young people is where people used to go to make their portable phone calls. Portable. You had to use a cell phone in a telephone booth. It was the only place that had a signal. It's also where Clark Kent used to change into Superman. That's right. That's where he would get his pages. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Paging Dr. Superman. Paging Dr. Superman. Um, anyway, so Mr. Neff and Dwayne Walton, which was Travis's brother, who had left his business in Phoenix to come out and look for his brother, uh, went to Heber, where they found Travis slumped on the floor of the booth, which was 12 miles from the place where Travis had disappeared. They took him back to the Neff residence and little by little his story came out now in the movie he was buck naked i don't recall whether or not he was naked or not in real life but no, and I, I don't everything that i found doesn't indicate that he was stripped naked okay but it was a so, good effect in a movie i ain't gonna lie yeah y'all yeah, did was, good on that one well and it, it really you know it, at the time that i read about the betty and barney hill case and, and them being like the, the aliens being like confused about like the false teeth of Barney. It made me think about like, would they have known how to remove 
Travis's clothes. I like, mean, I would assume he wasn't the first, so clothes are a common thing, whereas false teeth are not a common hmm. thing. I guess that makes sense. At least to my pea brain, it does. Uh, so Travis uh, claims that when the light hit him, it was like being hit over the head. And that when he regained consciousness, he was laying on a table. Uh, the ceiling seemed to be close to him, and light came from it. There was some sort of apparatus lying on his lower chest, and he had considerable pain throughout his body, but mainly in his head. Jeez. Around him were three entities about five feet tall with large eyes, small noses and mouths, and without hair. Travis said they reminded him of a human fetus. Or, as we use in modern terms, Danny DeVito. <laughs> it's just three Danny DeVitos. <laughs> um, says they were all dressed in loose-fitting brown coveralls. The air in the room seemed heavy and moist, and he had difficulty breathing. Ah, uh, the M-word. The Norwood word my wife doesn't like me to use. It's mostly women that don't like the word moist. I, I, love I, it. I don't understand why. But anyways, I, I had a friend that she hated the word chunk. How do you exp how do you explain cake that's not dry? Yeah, you don't want to say wet cake because that sounds <laughs> that gross. Doesn't sound like gross I don't want to eat. I will not eat a slice of wet wet cake, cake. unless no. it's unless it's trace leche cake. That's yeah. supposed to be. But I will eat some moist cake. Moist, Can't moist, moist, yes. moist. <laughs> <laughs> Mm, moist <laughs> so uh, he said he was panicked by his position and the strange creatures and knocked the apparatus off his chest striking out at the creatures the object rocked back and forth when it struck the floor so what the that tells you is is that he wasn't just he was simply knocked out he wasn't wise he, he, he yeah. didn't have he wasn't given body paralysis, right? Because yeah. if he would have woken up, which is a lot of the cases where it's it's that right. sleep paralysis, right? Where, but no, he woke up. He was yeah. like Hulk mode, dude. Right. Like so, that tells and, you they just shut his mind down. And they didn't they didn't uh, restrain him at all, right? There wasn't like any kind of physical restraints, right? So, um, it says that uh, the creatures did not seem disturbed by his reaction and merely left the room. Which, which is actually consistent with a it lot. I is, mean, a, but a I can't imagine. I feel like that's me as a parent. I feel like that that's the way I'm going to be. Is my daughter's going to go Hulk mode, throwing stuff in a room, going crazy, and I just turn around and I go. Mm -hmm. That's honestly, <laughs> as as one parent to a soon to be parent, that's the response that is necessary. Yeah, I'm going to tell you right now. But anyways, yep. um, but I mean, really, in a lot of abduction cases, that seems to be what like they uh, they try to talk to the beings or whatever and they just mm -hmm. kind of ignore them like they're just not like engaged they're, like, in whatever like animals you know Almost imagine like robots you, or something I'm robots I'm telling you animals it's like imagine you've caught a freaking you've caught a raccoon and it's screaming and yelling and doing all kinds of screaming. and you're just like whatever you're a raccoon shut up I got stuff to do mm -hmm. and you're putting it in a box because you're trying to keep it out of your trash right this is the same thing they are they don't care to them probably all they hear is wah, wah, wah. or if they even have ears which ears are pretty rare uh in or alien ear, sightings no, ear holes ear holes they may not even hear things so like it could you know they're just seeing you know like whatever also i picked up a little bit there of the loveland frog coming out but anyways i'm just gonna gloss <laughs> over here <laughs> Uh, so um, after they left the corridor, they kind of turned right uh, in the corridor outside. So he got up and he went through the door and turned left down the corridor <laughs> um, and into another room where he found a chair with push buttons on the arms and the wall seemed transparent as he could see what his what he assumed were the stars. This is definitely one that people have trouble with because it sounds like Star Trek, you know, that the yeah. chair with buttons sounds like yeah. Kirk's chair and that it's the view screen. But I'm like, mm, maybe that's where Roddenberry got it from. 
Well, he, he said he sat in it and pushed some of the buttons, whereupon the stars started to move, so he left them alone. <laughs> like, oh, I don't mean to press that button. You know, That's like, like when you're like, screw you, dad, and you're 12, and you're like, and you grab his keys, you're like, I'm going to take your car. You get out there, you can't even figure out how to turn it on because it's stick shift. <laughs> and just go. It, it also re- reminds me of uh, what's his face in uh, Independence Day when he's like, oh, yeah. you know, trying to start the airplane and he accidentally arms the missiles, you know. Yep. So. Yep, that would be but, me. <laughs> so, um, he uh, shortly thereafter, Travis said, a man wearing a blue uh, uh, clothing and transparent helmet came into the room and gestured for Travis to go with him. He was smiling, but did not respond to Travis's questions. Maybe injured, was cold. Cold. <laughs> injured, cold, injured, cold, calling it now. Yep. Um, he guided Travis out of the craft through an airlock and down a ramp. Uh, here, the lighting was brighter and the air was fresh and he could breathe normally. He found himself in a large enclosure and saw several disc-shaped objects parked there, some of which were smooth and metallic in appearance. His, his guide took him into another craft where he encountered three more humans in air quotes uh one woman and two men this this right here sounds oddly a lot like the venusians and um uh, nordic uh, the contactees yeah um who's who he said so closely resembled one another that they seemed to have been part of one family also i want to call on this because in uh Keel's John Keel's book about uh, I think it's either the Eighth Tower or um, Operation Trojan Horse, and one of the account or several of the accounts that he was able to find and pull together from a lot of sightings that happened in the 1800s, there is a repeating um, uh, theme in that there is a woman and two men that travel together that look a lot a, a lot the same right. and they are often um, thought of as being family members hmm. so yeah i know i mean it definitely it does make you wonder uh, if this guy read keel's stuff in that was you know i don't know if the books were out at that point but definitely the stuff in the newspapers and magazines or even yeah. woody's stuff that was in the magazines or radio i mean john long john neville was big i don't know it just so. It just seems to... But does it sit in your consciousness, right? That's the question that yeah. debunkers always want to say. Oh, well, yeah. it's there. Because I one, I can remember seeing uh, years ago, like, uh, I think it was even Unsolved Mysteries, actually, talking about the Travis Walton experience. And they were talking about how the UFO incident, which is the, the Betty and Barney Hill made-for-TV movie, had come out, like, a year before this or whatever or two. And they were like, well, they obviously saw this movie. And it played into them and that's where they got the idea from blah 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 yeah so i mean i I guess that's that's always going to be the argument and all we're trying to do here today is convey information about the case and it's really up to you all the listeners to decide what you want to believe so um but uh so it they were wore the same kind of blue clothing as the other guy but they had no helmets on uh the guy who had led him into the craft with the helmet uh, just went on through and exited the craft without ever removing his helmet. Uh, at this juncture, something resembling an oxygen mask was put over Travis's face, and he lost consciousness again. That's the, from the movie Aliens, and don't put that face hugger on your face, <laughs> or you're going to have a baby coming out your belly, and it's not a baby baby. It's an alien baby. I, I also will say that there is a lot of commonality here with other abduction cases that I've read about uh, in other um, uh, books that I've read in about how um, the investigation from the abductors start off with like the greys or they start off with insectoids or something like that the person being um, uh, investigated or whatever has some reaction those beings leave the room and more human 
looking yeah. beings come into the room to try to calm them down it's 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 also a repetitive theme yep yeah the 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 more tall blonde style yeah will show yeah. up i think whitley striber's story has that as well so when travis regained consciousness he was lying on his back on a road he could feel the cold of the road surface and felt the heat of a disc-shaped object which was rising into the sky above him the doors on the bottom just closing he said he recognized the road as the one leading into heber set out for town and when he got there he called his sister's home yeah just like um who 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 was it that said that uh is it stephen greer talks about all alien abductions are are military yeah and this one you know does end and feel that way you know with the gas mask coming yeah, on it's it very but i mean again we've also heard tales of of, of us working together with them so this could right. be the point here's the humanoids because it is humans and right. they're finishing things off to get them back right and and you know you if you also if you're willing to consider what Stephen Greer has to say about it, then maybe you're willing to consider what Bashar has to say about it. I am Bashar. So, you know, and so uh, Bashar uh, says that, you know, they were a race of uh, what we call the greys and that they had no better understanding as to what they were doing was wrong. So they were just, you know, trying to figure out how to get our DNA so they could keep their race alive. So. Yep. Um, so when Dwayne and Travis and Grand Neff arrived at the Neff home, Dwayne gave his brother fresh clothing and put the clothing he had been wearing. There you go. So he had his clothes on. He wasn't naked uh, into a bag. Um, his clothing did undergo a complete forensic analysis, uh, but I don't know that anything significant was found in that um, forensic analysis. They did say that he is he appeared thin right uh, and weighed on a bathroom scale at 154 pounds uh six feet one inch tall he began drinking large quantities of water and ate some cottage cheese uh, i love cottage which, cheese. <laughs> after which he complained of nausea well it's because he ate cottage cheese that he was no it's because he hadn't eaten in freaking five days man uh he continued he continued to appear vague and confused which tells you, man, so if he was gone for all this time, and, and we say that there is no time slip here, nothing along those lines, um, that means he was being experimented on for all those days, and he only woke up at the very end. Yep. Uh, later in the morning, Dwayne decided to take his brother back to Phoenix to seek expert help. Because he had talked with uh, Spalding during Travis's absence, Dwayne called him when he arrived in Phoenix. He told Spalding he felt Travis needed medical attention and requested a complete physical. However, uh, Spalding referred him to Dr. Lester Stewart, a hypnotherapist located in the Westward Hotel. They stayed at the man's office for 15 to 20 minutes, during which time Stewart tried to reach a doctor by phone, but apparently could not locate one. Dwayne began to be suspicious of Dr. Stewart's qualifications and took his brother home, stopping on the way for breakfast. So by that time... Uh, by the way, Westwood Hotel is in Tucson. That's where I got Tucson from. Okay. So by that time, the telephone was blowing up, you know, as the, as the kids say today, um, <laughs> constantly with calls from the media. Uh, the curious and eventually... Uh, two calls from Stewart, who apparently attempting to re-enter the case. Uh, Dwayne decided to take the pressure off by putting out a cover story to the effect that Travis had been taken to a hospital in Tucson. Uh, Phoenix APRO members, APRO members, mm -hmm. had been keeping headquarters informed, and Mer Mrs. Lorenzen immediately checked all the Tucson ho hospitals. No one answering Travis Walton's description had been admitted that morning. She then decided that Travis was in all probability at Dwayne Walton residence and put in a call. A woman answered and then Dwayne Walton took the phone. Uh, Miss Lorenzen identified herself as uh, with APRO and told Walton that his brother's case was one of the several 
currently under investigation and that APRO would like to provide anything they could to assist them. Dwayne said he thought his brother should be examined by a physician. Ms. Lorenzen assured him it would be taken care of and then called two physicians in the Phoenix membership. One of the doctors was off duty that day and she left a message on his answering service, answering service. That's another new one. Uh, she reached the second doctor at his clinic. He was free at 3.30, so she called Mr. Walton back, gave him the names, and uh, one would be at his home to examine Travis at 3.30 p.m. So I, I would like to call out here that, and I mean nothing against the CWA or whatever it was that the initials we talked about before, the, the, the guy that was in Phoenix, but APRO was a serious organization in its day and they did what was necessary to get yeah ground saucer watch was definitely more fringy it says here that the time sequence uh, is important because later mr stewart told the press that he had interviewed the waltons for two hours Dwayne walton claimed that he and his brother were only there for 20 minutes beginning at 9 30 a.m it takes one half hour to drive from the westward ho hotel where Stewart's office is located to Dwayne Walton's home. And considering at least a half hour for breakfast, had the Waltons actually stayed for two hours from 9.30 to 11.30, as Stewart claimed, they could not possibly have arrived home before 12.15. Yeah. However, Mrs. Lorenzen made her first telephone contact at 10.45 a.m. Again, this is pre-cell phone, so there's right. no chance they got him on the road. So this is just another example of people trying to like get in on the get in on the action get in on the action <laughs> um it does say here that there have been rumors printed and repeated in the, in the electronic media uh to the effect that walton's mother miss mary kellett uh said uh, after learning of travis's disappearance that she didn't expect to see him again yeah. This was not true. Uh, statements by unnamed residents in the Snowflake area to the effect that Travis and Mrs. Kellett were UFO buffs were also right. inaccurate. Yep, that's a big one. Uh, he had a mild interest in the subject, and when asked why he approached the object, he said simply that he was curious, which is really an entirely normal reaction. Yeah, he's a crazy, he was like a yeah. young, crazy kid, you know, like, I get it. Uh, Mike Rogers actually told uh, the lead investigator for APRO that he himself had been skeptical about UFOs prior to the incident, but witnessing the incident convinced him. Yeah, <laughs> as it would. Right. Um, so on Thursday, November 13th, uh, the lead investigator for APRO drove to Phoenix where he uh, met uh, James Harder, which is APRO's director of research. And the two proceeded to the hotel where they joined the Waltons and the National Enquirer crew. During that time, blood and urine analysis were undertaken by a Phoenix laboratory. Also, Dr. Harder used hypnosis to alleviate the tension under which Travis was laboring. The young man was found to be extremely upset and obviously tense. Meetings with Travis since then by both Mr. and Mrs. Lorenzen and other members of the local staff of APRO uh, indicate considerable improvement, although he becomes agitated when the subject of the lost time, which he yeah. doesn't remember, is broached. So obviously there's lost time here for him, right? He was gone for three days. He doesn't remember being gone for three days, but there's no um, time paradox type situation. Yeah. Uh, two additional stories in the Phoenix Gazette on November 12th and the 15th served to, I don't know what this word is, the situation, <laughs> elucidate mm -hmm. the situation, uh, build as a valley, uh, expert on UFOs, Bill Spaulding was quoted as saying um, some holes in Travis's story, but the story neglected to point out that those holes, what those holes were. Mm -hmm. He also said that Dwayne accused him of being negative after we questioned him about a couple of holes in the story. He was also quoted as saying, the thing that is at stake is the scientific community with respect to the entire UFO subject. 
before anybody can say this is a hoax or this is a real thing. The proper scientific test must be conducted. I, of all people, would like to see this turn out positive, but the only way it can be done is with competent scientific personnel conducting scientific tests. Yep. And you know what? If I was Travis, I'd be mad too if you keep questioning me. When you had a crazy traumatic experience and you're expected to remember things verbatim for which you were pretty much asleep for, like, yeah, back off. You're doing the best you can. Also, like, it's interesting that they, so the, the APRO folks did hip, hypnosis, but it was not an attempt to get more out of right, Travis. Like, like was, Barney and Betty's. Right. It was an attempt to calm him down. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, yeah, like you said, bottom line, it's uh, it's a very interesting case. And there are a lot of, like I pointed out here tonight, there are a lot of correlations that can be drawn between it and other and other cases. So, yeah, Yep. And there's caves up in that area. There's so much stuff. Like if we go into the hollow earth theory, if it's coming yeah. from hollow earth, I mean, there's so much stuff. I mean, we could talk clo- forever, but we got to get close rolling. to Dulcy. <laughs> yes, it is. Um, but Josh, we got to get out of here, man. Um, but thank you so much for sharing all that information on the Travis Walton experience. And Travis, if you're listening, uh, I know we've we've emailed before, but we'd love to have you on the show if you can find the time. Uh, it would be an absolute pleasure. Uh, we got to get out of here. Thank you so much to the Unex Network uh, for having us on. Uh, we're always just excited to be a part of the Unex Network. Keep listening. Check out all the other shows that are on the Unex Network. All of our past archived episodes on the Convergence Enigma dot com uh so we're gonna get out of here again thank you so much for tuning in this is stefan and i just want to remind you keep your eyes on the skies folks and this has been josh the truth is now and please don't ever 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 stop questioning or stop searching good night everybody good night good night